Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630KHOW, Denver's talk station. Like the fuse and run now, brother, because you ain't got a lot of time. Don't you act surprised. K House Denver's talk station. I'm Leland Conway. I told you he was going to pop on with us. We love Christian Toto here at the house. Um, he is a writer for the Daily Wire. He does his own podcast, Hollywood and Toto Podcast, uh, which is available all over the place. You want to check that out. Um, he's done some writing for Outkick. He's doing some covers for them right now. And, of course, HollywoodandToto.com. So there's just a ton of places you can hear this guy. And he's written a book called um, uh, Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost His So I always love talking to Christian about some of the crazy wokey stuff that is out there in the world. Uh, Christian, welcome back, man. It's good to talk to you. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You know, um, you, you and I were talking before we brought you on the air here about Taylor Swift. Uh, she's huge right now. Um, I'm not a big fan of her music. I'm kind of a fan of what she did for the roadies who helped make sure that her show gets on. I thought that big bonus that she gave to the truck drivers was pretty damn cool. Uh, I met her when she right before she got really big. I met her just before she her her music went crazy back when she was still a country singer in 2007. Um, but nonetheless, there's been times in the past where she's gotten political. You noticed, oh, and I was going to tell you, there's actually a, a university that's teaching a, a teaching a class on the psychology of Taylor Swift, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, but you noticed something about Taylor Swift of late that's kind of been missing from some of the things that she said in the past. What is that? Yeah, she hasn't really gotten political in the last few months at really the peak of her career and as big as her career has been for years now, there's just never been a moment where Taylor Swift has not been, it, it, she's everywhere right now. The, the Eras tour, which is, uh, I think it's wrapping up the U S version of it, at least for now, or maybe she's got a few gigs left. It just put her in a spotlight in a way that very, very few artists are able to uh, maintain and control. And yet she hasn't gotten political. And just to, to rewind a little bit here, Taylor Swift was not political for a pretty long time. And then in the last few years, she went political. She went left of center. She was promoting Democrats and Joe Biden. And, and she really got, uh, she evolved, I guess you could say, in a way that maybe is unexpected. But also she kind of put aside her nonpartisan uh, pose. And so that's been interesting. But again, given all the stuff that's going on in the culture, the culture wars, you know, uh, trans issues, uh, there's so much happening that she could be commenting on either from the stage or social media. She's been pretty darn quiet. Uh, she asked people to vote in Nashville a few weeks ago, but you know she did it in a very nonpartisan way. I think she did weigh in a little bit about the abortion issue when that uh, flared up a few months back. But other than that, she's been pretty quiet. And I think that's fascinating. Do you think she evolved or that she matured as a businesswoman? 
You know, I, I think it was smart maybe in the beginning for her to be apolitical and to just be an entertainer first and foremost. But she got a lot of pressure from the media to, to, to you know, get away with that, to you know, get away from that, that to be more of a, of a voice. And of course, the media wanted her to be a very specific voice. You know, she couldn't come out and say, listen, I like Donald Trump. That would have, that would have caused uh, so many negative articles to, to rain upon her. You wouldn't believe it. So, you know, she went in a direction which was more approved, I guess you could say. But listen, that may be her genuine feeling as well. But yeah, it's it's been fascinating to see all this happening and, and to see what direction she's going. Well, it's interesting when you talk to Taylor Swift fans, right? Like I am not a fan of her music at all. Um, but when you talk to Taylor Swift fans, you'll note that they run the gamut of of the demography of America. It's it it, it, it is there are a lot of people on the right that love her. There are a lot of people on the left that love her. There are a lot of people in the middle that love her. She, she, she doesn't, I, I think it's wise for her to not get herself in a Bud Light corner, if you know what I mean. I agree. Uh, but the press is very powerful. And yeah, when is. the press comes a calling and they start putting the pressure on you, it's very hard to resist, even when you're as big as Taylor Swift. And like I said, there's no other pop star who is as big, as powerful as she is right now. So we'll have to, uh, have to wait and see if she's able to maintain this posture, even in an election year. I think it's going to be very, very hard for her to, to consistently be apolitical. <clears throat> I mean, when, when she, you know, it's the weird thing. They are entertainers first and foremost. They are not soothsayers. They are not pundits. We don't know anything about their political views. We don't know if they have any political knowledge. You know, she could just be, you know, read the headlines and that's where it begins and ends. So why do we even need her or insist that she weigh in and that she use her cloud and she uses her Instagram account and things like that? But that's the way the culture works right now. We've got a media landscape yeah. that insists you you become, you know, part of the resistance, at least during the Trump years. And of course, you know, in the next few months, things are going to ramp up all over again. And there's going to be new pressure to say, hey, Taylor, you can't just sit on the sidelines. You're too important you're too valuable you've got it you've got to become an asset for us the good guys and of course we all know who the good guys are right. this conversation right. according to them so you know it's going to be really interesting to see and and listen well i i've been following this story for a while now and you know a few years ago when she was being apolitical there were stories intimating that she was a bit cozy with white nationalists because some crazy white nationalists were saying we like Taylor Swift and she didn't disavow <laughs> them fast enough. I mean, this right. is in right. like I think the Daily Beast might have been one of the art, one of the websites that that pushed that crazy narrative. So if they don't do if you don't do what they want you to do, they can they can get ugly. Yeah, I was going to say and, that. And if, if, I was just going to say that 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 is might have been even the reasoning for her to come out and simulate left. A little bit just to get them off her back because, you yeah. know, it, 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 that's the way they work. And I was going to ask you a somewhat – we're talking with Christian Toto. I was going to ask you a somewhat rhetorical question in saying why do you think the media does that? Because I'd love your thoughts on it. Well, the media – I mean, it, it's – listen, the media has always been left-leaning. We've known that for years. But the media today – is is basically part and parcel of the Democratic Party. I mean, there's there's no there's no space between the two. So they want to use every asset imaginable 
to to uh, promote democratic causes. I mean, you look at late night TV. You know, it, it, obviously it's taking a knee right now because of the writer strike. But not only was every late night TV show left of center, the media cheered them on. They did roundup stories to kind of reflect on all the big jokes that Colbert and company told. They had fawning profiles of them. They 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 would write a news story based on a monologue by Jimmy Kimmel right. that hammered Trump the way he should be hammered. You know, that's basically journalists saying we can't directly come out and say we hate Trump, but we can support and promote and and push out people like Stephen Colbert who say that. Yeah. And so it's the next best thing for them. So that's where we are in the cultural landscape. What do you think? It <clears throat> So if you go back this, we're getting deep here, but uh, I've got a, a biography. It's a two volume biography on Joseph Stalin because I'm fascinated with with what I would call extreme characters in history. And he is a perfect representation of an extreme character and, and how those types of characters rise to power. And I see similarities to his rise to power to some of the things that have been happening in the United States. But one of the first things that he did when you read that history is he co-opted the media. Um, the media were given access to his dacas, his palatial palaces around Russia. And so long as they wrote what he wanted them to write, sang what he wanted them to sing, painted what he wanted them to paint, reported what they want, he wanted them to report, they had access to the best of the best. The moment that they stepped off of that, they got sent to the concentration camp, right? <laughs> and that was, that was the way it worked. But, but the deep question I want to ask is, why does the media, why do arts so often tend to tilt towards the left? Like at the very core, why is that the case? Why do they tend to always tilt toward a statist left? It's a tough question. I mean, I would argue that in the past, artists have been for free speech, and that's no longer the case by and large. I can't, I can't even process that. I will say as an artist, you tend to have more empathy. You know, if you're playing a villain in a movie, you have to find the goodness within that character or the kernel of humanity within that character just to get a hold of it, to be able to reproduce it and to bring it to the screen. So I think there is something about the artistic template, that, that sensibility that maybe is more left-leaning and more open and less you know, fact-based and more emotion-based. Uh, that's maybe the best that I can sum up without giving it a significant deep dive. But, uh, you know, I, I think what you're describing with the Stalin and the media, I, I don't think that's necessary in today's America because the media wants the same thing that the Democrats want. So they don't, they don't need to, you don't need to write, you don't need to Biden to write a check to CBS News they're on the same page. They mm -hmm. they have the same goals. Right. So there's no need to to fawn over them or or take care of them. Well, um, you know that's just where it is. That's an interesting point because you you've mentioned in this conversation the shift then for the media because if you go back to the founding of this country, the left wing media was Benjamin Franklin, right? And and by left wing at that time, what we meant was liberty, classical liberal, classical liberal, less government, get off my back, leave me alone, open to the interpretation of what you think or see of the world, um, you know, letting individuals express themselves. That was the left at the time, right? 
What's happened recently, and it, it's maybe not all too recently, because I don't know, a lot of people don't realize this, and I can't remember the reporter's name, but there was a reporter for the New York Times embedded in Russia during the Stalin years, and he was writing all these false stories about how great Stalin was was doing for the poor people, and he was influencing a, a, a rising somewhat you know, level of thinking in America at the time towards socialism and communism. And then, you know, it turned out that everything he said was a complete and total lie, right? He wasn't Walter, reporting. Walter Durante. Yeah, Walter Durante. And, and he's not writing about the concentration camps and the trains where, he, where the potato farmers got sent away because they dared to grow a few potatoes for their own family. But there has of recent been a shift away from that sort of openness, like you say, because I can understand like someone who is of the artistic inclination is of that open inclination. Hey, man, just let everybody express themselves the way they see fit, because after all, they're in the business of expression. So what I think what do you think is underlying this shift lately towards authoritarianism, towards totalitarianism, towards this sort of despotic tyranny that we're seeing? Um, maybe soft tyranny, right? Like it's not necessarily in every case, some cases it's not jackbooted thugs showing up at your door, but it's thugs from the media showing up at your door. What's caused that shift towards statist and lockdown and shut up and silence? Like what has caused that? Well, I think it's an, I don't exactly know, but I think it's an offshoot of our tribal times. And I think one of the most recent examples is the movie Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom is not a faith-based movie, and it is not a right-wing political movie. But for some reason, it became known as both of those things, and therefore the media and the left began to hate it. And I think it, it's as it, what I'm describing is a, a tribal culture where if conservatives suddenly like free speech, or if they always like free speech but they're more vocal about it now – or they champion Elon Musk, who, for all his flaws, is more free speech friendly than the past Twitter owners, then they become the enemy. I mean, I, I, I can't – this conversation is so bizarre. And if you, if, you, if you could – if I can go back in time and say I'm going to be talking about this you know, in 10 years, I'd say you're crazy. But that's where we are right now. It is, it is a crazy time. And because of that tribalism, we, we, we can't accept that uh, – um, you know – hydrochloroquine or some of these medications <laughs> right. maybe possibly could be helpful because the bad man said that it could be helpful. Right. And so uh, ivermectin becomes horse paced even by experts and doctors and physicians who know for years that it's a, it's a Nobel Prize winning drug that's been very successfully used by humans and is extremely safe. That becomes a poison, a horse medication, something you cannot take because the bad man said it. That's how tribal we've become, yeah. and that's how tortured we've become, yeah. and that's how much we've lost. That's... And I, you know, I, so I think the questions you're asking are very difficult. I don't have all the answers, but I, I think there's a lot of it rooted in that—that that tribalism, that black and white, that my team versus your team. Yeah, and it's dev it's devastating to this country. It is, and I spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how the two-party system is is what's keeping us here, right? Because the parties themselves exist in order to propel each other on forward, and the problem is the source of their power so that's why they don't solve problems and it leaves us in this weird yin and yang dichotomy of a world where you're either on one team or the other and the reality is that so many americans 
are much more nuanced than that. And we don't have yeah. we don't have a space in our public square and our public dialogue for nuance. And yet everyone out there is nuanced. Right. I mean, if you sit down somebody who is a, a, a standard rank and file Democrat with a standard rank and file Republican and don't tell them what each other are and they just begin to talk about issues involving their kids, involving their money, involving the cost of living, they're going to walk away from that conversation potentially as friends and quite in agreement. But as soon as you put that label on each one of them, they suddenly are at each other's throats and they hate each other. Yeah, it's very well said. There's a lot of overlap in real life, but in the, the digital realm, there's not much of it. And once once you've declared a team, then you go to war. And this is one of the things I like to do with my podcast is invite people, people who may be not right of center, who may be left of center or apolitical, and have good conversations with them as well. We need more of that. I think Bill Maher does an excellent job of that with his podcast, uh, Club Random. Uh, I give him a lot of credit for that because he's a very liberal guy, but he's willing to read across the aisle and agree to disagree and have party handshakes and maybe knock back a, a, a glass of alcohol or two or three just in the process. So I, I think we need more of that. And I think it's very unhelpful that we don't. Yeah, um, it, it, I, I agree. So, and I, I, I'm going to ask you right now if you can stick around for a second segment, because I want to, I want to talk about the Oliver Anthony thing, because I think that branches off this conversation pretty well, but just, sure. just to sort of bring this part of the conversation to a finer point, what do you think the solution to this is? I, I, I think so much of our troubles right now are a direct result of the media being corrupt. Because at the end of the day, we need a media to hold Biden accountable when he goes awry and to hold Trump accountable when he goes awry. We don't have that. We don't have a truthful media. We have a biased, corrupt media. I, I can't believe how how uh, how much worse it's gotten in the last five years. It used to be left of center. It used to be left-leaning. I was okay with that. I mean, I wasn't okay with it, but I understood it. But if there was a big story that would impact the, the Democrats in a negative way, it would be covered. Mm-hmm. And now the media will cover it up. I mean, that's literally where we are. Uh, you know, So I, I think in that atmosphere, you're basically poisoning half of the country against the other half of the country, and that's directly feeding the divide we're talking about. Yeah, I sometimes wonder, because when I was a, in in school for communications and I took some journalism classes, you know, they, they talked to us a lot about the responsibility that we had to be fair. Uh, and now I think it's considered in journalism school that the, that the students have a responsibility to be biased. And I wonder sometimes if anybody intellectually self checks themselves and thinks about, Hey, wait a minute. I wonder if what I'm doing right now is the best thing for the country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, when I see narratives that agree with my right leaning views, I try, at least I try to think, am I jumping in this too soon? Is it too perfect? Is it too, does it too adequately fit my, my worldview? And I'm going to jump on that without thinking critically. Uh, I think we all should do that. And, uh, and you listen, I want to steer people, people haven't seen it. Uh, Philip Bump is a reporter for the Washington post. He did an interview with a fellow named, I think it's, uh, Norm Dworkin, I, I, I'm, I'm bumbling his name a little bit. He owns a comedy club in New York City. It's the most fascinating interview you will hear. Uh, it's a regular Joe. I'm going to guess he's probably left-leaning, interviewing a corrupt, biased journalist and exposing him in ways that I don't know anyone else could do any better. And it just shows the sorry state of journalism right now and why we're in such terrible times. No doubt. All right, pause right there. We're going to continue with my good friend Christian Toto because I think this dovetails well into a conversation about the rise of conservative art next. I'm Leland Conway with Christian Toto, 630K How, Denver's talk station.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And now, back to more Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630 KHOW, Denver's talk station. Back on 630 KHOW, Denver's talk station. You can text the show directly, 577-39, 577 um, Christian, let's jump back into it. Um, th- I think you know we were kind of talking about the corruption in the media, and, and you mentioned jumping to conclusions about maybe if you see something that seems like it's on the right. A lot of people jump to conclusions about this Anthony Oliver song, Richmond North of Richmond. I think I always saw it for what it was, and I loved it for what it was, but a lot of people mistakenly thought, hey, this is conservative Art speaking back and pushing back, you know, try that in a small town. You have kind of a different take on how those things have arisen. Yeah, I, I think it's more of uh, just collective outrage against the elites in the country. That if you look at the song's lyrics, I don't think he's saying left or right. I don't think he's saying Republican or, or Democrat. I think he's just sick of it. I think there's a, a, just a genuine uh, uh, outrage at what's going on in the country, things that are just not fair. And I think that's that's why it touched a nerve. That's why it sold so many copies. I would imagine there are a lot of left-leaning people who thought, A, it's a great song. A, it's, B, it's beautifully sung. It's got some raw intensity to it. And C, I can relate to that, yeah. I, I would guess. I mean, so I told those factors are there. And I, I just think there. I think there's a general sense that the experts, uh, for lack of a better phrase, stink. <laughs> I, think that I think that they're trying to control us. We saw that with COVID. What could be a better example of that? And I, I would imagine that if you're a uh, blue-collar Democrat and you hear that song or you hear other pop culture nuggets go, you know, that are out there right now or hear Try That in a Small Town by Jason Aldean where, you know, hey, they're burning your town. They're burning your city. They're burning your businesses. Why do I have to be a Republican to be angry about that? You can be, right. you can be any party, any, any ideology, any walk of life and be frustrated by the lack of response to that. So I, I just think that the elites have, have – done terrible things to this country i I think that they're out of control i think they're arrogant i think they have few if if any answers uh i think they lie i think they you know i think i I just have utter contempt for them and i think that that is being reflected in some pop culture moments yeah i i i think um it's kind of interesting when the, the the podcast that joe rogan did with with Anthony Oliver, I think I got his name right. He's got two first names, so Oliver Anthony. Uh, Oliver yeah. Anthony, yeah. <laughs> I, I, keep, I get it backwards. I was like, oh, dude, you got two first names, so suck it up, Buttercup. Anyway, the podcast that Joe Rogan did with him, I think a lot of people were somewhat surprised to hear that he wasn't either, right? And and for, for me personally, Christian, that resonates with me. Um, in my personal life, 
I am a conservative in 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 terms of how I see the world, how I view the world. I'm very much libertarian. I don't care how you identify. I, I mean, I might personally care, but I'm not going to foist on you what I think about it. It, it. You live your life the way you see fit. I'll live my life the way I see fit. But I just want people to get out of my way. And I, I think there's a huge disconnect. You know, when, when President Biden is touring the country talking and bragging about Bidenomics, and people know that gas is $100 for a tank. Groceries are 20% more for less actual groceries because of both inflation and shrinkflation. And a mortgage price has doubled since 2020. While there's this bumbling, hair-sniffing, you know, jack wagon running around the country with a bunch of pundits in his pocket talking about how great Bidenomics is. And as soon as the American people are smart enough to figure out what he's done, right, people are insulted by that, right? And the media keeps insulting them. They lay insult to injury on top of that. And, I, and again, I don't think that's a partisan thing. Thing because these prices, this cost of living, these trials and tribulations affects people no matter what your party is. It's not a partisan thing. It isn't, but I think there's an often a partisan reaction. I was speaking to two people that I was very close to. I won't say who they were about. They were they were both complaining about inflation. And I know they're both very liberal people, and I they're the kind of people I don't talk politics with. But I said to them just very gently, and I kind of said it and dropped it, well, you know why we're having inflation. You know why there's a new person in the White House. You know that the spending is directly responsible for this. And I just got to let it go. But they looked at me like I had three heads, and they didn't really connect anything to them. So, you know, I I understand what you're saying, and you're right, but I also think we're not making connections. You know, you could be uh, a New York City resident, and you could be frustrated by the, the flood of illegal immigrants, and you could be worried for your safety, and you could be worried that that the mayor has to uh, reallocate resources that are desperately needed in the city to deal with the issue. But you're also not going to vote for a Republican the next time or even a, a more centrist Democrat. You're going to vote for the most hard left person as possible. So I think we're living these things. We're seeing these things and we're experiencing th- these things. But the tribalism is so baked in. We're not ready for the solutions. You know, that's an interesting point, too. Um, yeah, I, yesterday I brought up the the you know, we've heard the term lesser of two evils. Um, Americans really are backed in a corner where you could say that no matter what we face in 2024, we are facing a choice of which one is less evil. And it really, I guess, comes down to what you determine in is your definition of evil. And for me, it's anyone who violates my personal self-interest, right? And, and by that, I don't, you know, I'm talking in Milton Friedman terms here when we talk about self-interest, right? Like my self-interest is the best for all of the community because what we mean by that is that we're engaging in free and open um, discussion, debate, exchange, free markets, those kinds of things, all geared towards our self-interest, all elevating everyone's self-interest. And the politician who restricts that the least is my definition of less e- less evil. But I can't remember the last time I voted for someone because I really believed that that was the person that was going to solve my problems. And I think there's a problem when, when so many people can't think along those lines, they have to immediately jump to team versus team instead of what advances my family's personal self-interest. You know what I mean? That's kind of fascinating to me, especially with the left. A lot of times they vote on some sort of collective interest that may not even affect them, but they get so passionate about it and it can have negative effects on them. And they just keep trudging right forward, voting for those kinds of stupid policies. Yeah, I mean, I think as a, as a public, we've never had access to more information and we've never been more immature and less uh, wise 
about the choices we make. And we, we collectively say we don't want Biden Trump again in 2024. And we're heading straight toward that. So, I mean, but we have the power to change that, but we're not. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know where we go from there. Yeah. Boy, we got into some deep stuff here when we were just yeah. supposed to be talking about the media. What is the rise of conservative art, though? Well, I think it's it's a marketplace where you don't need the traditional gatekeepers to be successful. That if you're a legitimately indie singer like Oliver Anthony, you can succeed. It's very rare. It takes a lot of talent, a lot of luck, but you can you can bypass the the, the circuitry of the record labels. And if you're a movie like Sound of Freedom and you have a story that just connects with people don't need a major studio you don't need a major star you don't need a major ad network behind it so i think those are all good things i think that could lead to more more um a greater diversity of art you know the, the word diversity is thrown around so so easily these days but i think it it's often not applied where it could be or should be and i think we need more diverse stories being out there you know i get all these different press releases about different films and different stories and different narratives and you know they often are very similar you know, it, it could be alternative lifestyles. It could be certain plots that I see repeated again and again. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. And I think that we, all those stories should be told. But there are so many stories not being told, not even being considered. And I think the people, the storytellers who, who tap into them, they could get rich quick, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. But but how do you if let's say you're a, let's say you're an art maker, you're an artist. You know, I was listening to this really interesting uh, book on tape the other day about Galileo, right? Galileo funded his science by getting, you know, leaders around the world to give him gifts in exchange for him pre- presenting them with gifts, right? Like he was, he would, he would invent something and present it to them and then they would bestow him with some kind of endowment or whatever. And, 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 and it, it drove his art, right? Cause he was a poor artist, believe it or not. And he invented some of the most amazing things that we use in the military today in order to be able to continue his habit of art. I, I, I find it interesting that Art has to be one way to be profitable in this weird dichotomy world. But what you're saying is that that old system is cracking now and it's becoming possible. But but if somebody's a struggling artist that wants to just put out a contrarian point of view, what steps do they take to, to, to go viral like like Oliver Anthony did? Like, how do you do that? If you don't have Joe Rogan putting you on his show, how do you do that? Well, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be. Yeah, I guess famous so. and I'd be, But having said that. I think being authentic really matters. Mm-hmm. I think uh, being different and novel really matters. I think, uh, you know, um, thinking, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you look at the marketplace and you say, okay, that's missing and that's missing. And boy, wouldn't it be great to create that? And then you work towards those goals and there's a better chance that your your dreams will succeed because you're 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 seeing weaknesses in the marketplace so i i would think it maybe it's something very similar i think there's a lack of authenticity in the way we speak and then joe rogan comes along and he is just a free thinker a free speaker a, a free mind a free spirit and we're we're captivated by him he's not the greatest interviewer he's not the greatest comedian he's not the greatest anything but he is being honest and authentic and genuine and curious, and we are flocking to him. So I think the people who could be some of those things have a much, much greater chance. But again, it is very risky. It is the odds are against you, and you don't you don't want to quit your day job, that's for sure. Right. I I'm fascinated with him as a phenomenon, and I wonder how much Joe Rogan should get credit for any kind of ability for the other side to break through. One of the most egregious examples of media malfeasance was when CNN 
literally put a filter on his face when he put out that video about ivermectin and all the other stuff that he had taken and they focused on the ivermectin and and wrongly called it horse medicine it, it was it was an it was a literally a demonstrably provably false sleight of hand that cnn engaged in that was unbecoming of a supposed news organization there was nothing newsy about that and and what happened was because he has such an appeal to people across the across the spectrum he's probably one of the reasons why you know that that whole egg cracked so to speak in terms of 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 breaking the hold that the experts had on on the whole covid lockdown thing I want to drill down on that story because it gets worse. Uh, Rogan invited on Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who was one of the quacks on CNN, who was pushing that horse horse paced nonsense. And Joe Rogan broke him down and got him to essentially admit that he was wrong. But then he went back to CNN and started spewing the same stuff that he did before. So you need to see how inauthentic these people are, how, how fallible they are, how, how wrong they are. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, but the thing is most people just watch CNN and just accept it as fact. And, you know, we can't blame them because we're all busy. We're all doing our living our lives. We don't have time to do research on different media outlets and how fair or unfair they are. Yeah. And we've been trusting them for years. And for most part, they've been going to get more right than wrong, yeah. but now they're not. Yeah. Now they're lying to us. Now they're directly lying to us. The Associated Press put out a, a, a uh, a tweet this week saying that there's an uh, impeachment inquiry into Biden and they use the old without evidence when we've been watching evidence pile up day after day, week after week. <laughs> so, you know, this is the AP. This is the August Associated yeah. Press, which is yeah. supposed to be a straight shooter. It's not it's not MSNBC. It's not Fox News. Right. But they're like everyone else now. They're, yeah. they're not telling me the whole story. Such a good point. Man, I'm glad we got voices like you out there, Christian. Um, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your intellectual approach to these things and always enjoy our conversations. They're a little deeper than a lot of radio conversations <laughs> are, but it's fun. I think I think it's good, and I, I like think it. people like hearing that. So listen, my friend, it. have a great day. Stay safe, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, when we continue, McDonald's is going to scrap self-serve photo, fount, soda fountains over theft and hygiene concerns. I'll give you the details on this. 630K, how Denver's talk station. 30K How Denver's Talk Station. Text the show 57739. Um, 57739. Leland to 57739. So McDonald's is going to scrap self-serve soda fountains over theft and hygiene concerns, according to the New York Post. Here's the story. The days of self-serve soda fountain are numbered at McDonald's. A fast food giant plans to phase out the do-it-yourself stations, eliminating them entirely over the next decade as franchise owners cite hygiene, theft, and consumer eating habits according to the State Journal Register of Illinois. But McDonald's franchise owners want to put customers' minds at ease, quote, insisting that refills will continue to be free even after the machines are phased out by 2032. Quote, uh, free refills are a big draw for people, said Kim Derringer, who operates three McDonald's in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, I don't see uh, anything taking that away. Now, there's got to be more to this story here, because this is just weird, is it not? First of all, if you had a hygiene concern... And even a theft concern, if you're concerned about like the overall effect to your bottom line, then why would you take almost 10 years to phase it out? Does that make any sense at all? One has to wonder like just how big our companies have gotten in America where now companies operate like governments, right? It's going to take 10 years to just take a soda machine, take a soda machine, move it to the back. 
Like how, like how hard is that? Why is it going to take 10 years? Do you not? Okay. Do you not agree with me that something feels off about this story just a little bit? Like, what do you think? is the real reason behind why McDonald's is doing this. Now, if it, and again, if it's budget, right? Like, because loss leader, it's not even a loss leader. One of the highest profit margins that they make is on soda, right? Because dishing out soda, first of all, you got ice that fills it up, right? That's cheap to make. Cups are not very expensive. So maybe your soda costs 10 cents, your cup costs 10 cents, and your and your ice is 5 cents. So now you're 25 cents in, and you, you just charge three ninety nine for that large drink. So you've made like a thousand percent profit on it. So even if somebody goes back three or four times, you've still quadrupled your money on that. So it can't be theft unless we're talking about homeless people coming in and just, you know, running the damn thing and not paying for it, I guess. But if that's the case and it's affecting the bottom line enough that they've noticed it and they actually want to do something about it, like why wouldn't you just go ahead and say, hey, all of y'all move your soda machine to the back and fix it for people and ask for a refill. That's what Chick-fil-A does, by the way. Chick-fil-A will give you free, free refills all day long, but you have to come ask for it because they have everything behind the counter. So I, I, like, why would it take 10 years, right? Hygiene concerns, okay. Let's talk about that for a second. If there's a legitimate concern about people's health, why is, again, move it behind the counter. It doesn't take 10 years to move it. Something is really, really weird about this story. So I clicked into the New York Post story just to kind of get a little bit more context on this. And it doesn't really say, right? So I, I, I'm trying, I'm racking my brain. I would love to know what is really driving this. And maybe it's just that they made a decision that they're going to be like, be like more like Chick-fil-A and they'll just put it behind the counter and they just don't want people to freak out. Now, impact traffic. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.